Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. We are going to continue this evening discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. We're about halfway through his presentation of the Bhagavat Sandarbha, uh, which is the second of six Sandarbhas dealing with transcendental knowledge as presented by the Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya. Srila Jiva Goswami was in a very unique position when it comes to presenting the knowledge of the tradition and specifically the cult of Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was younger than uh, the other architects of the Sampradaya. Uh, now, of course, the main designer of the Sampradaya was the Supreme Lord himself, Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he gave instructions to his intimate disciples, and those intimate disciples milked all the Vedic knowledge, and specifically the, the Srimad Bhagavatam, and more specifically the commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam by Sridhar Swami, which was so dear to Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu. So they milked all these literatures after getting direct instruction from Lord Chaitanya and more or less codified for his Sampradaya, Gaudiya Sampradaya, coming in the wake of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, what was the essence of the essence to be taken from the literatures and fully comprehended, Sambandha, understanding the interrelationship between matter and spirit, and the Supreme and his various energies. They codified the Sambandha. They gave us the proper Abhideya or the employment according to an un that understanding of all that we have available to us we must realize that we are in a in a situation where we are endowed with material mind and material senses and have been so endowed for well we cannot find trace out the beginning of this endowment in material existence it's referred to as a naughty it has no beginning but based on that condition then the Abhideya is a methodology provided by the architects of the Sampradaya and specifically tailored by the Guru for any disciple entering into the Sampradaya to our, to our condition, both our psychological and our physical condition. And that practice, that spiritual practice, tailor-made for us by the guru, and as we personally advance, we take on that task to some extent, but the, these are in the more advanced stages of devotional practice, wherein we, we engage in those things that really nourish our specific objective in spiritual revelation. We're not going to go there tonight, but 
it's it's a preview of things to come. There will come a time in our practice as we purify ourselves where everything that's related to the mind and the material mind and senses that is the beginning work of a spiritual enthusiast, somebody that's really serious about taking to spiritual life and ending material life, that's secondary to us too. Our real objective is really, how can I become a perfect, unalloyed lover of the Supreme Lord, personal manifestation of divinity? Divinity has many manifestations. And actually the Sundarbas themselves that we are studying right now, the beginning of the Sundarbas by Jiva Goswami centers around one verse from the Bhagavatam. Varanti tat tat bhavidas tatvam yajjanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti subjate that there's different classes of transcendentalists. Not everyone approaches transcendence or pure spirituality with the same understanding nor the same objective. So this verse speaks these various transcendentalists approach that non-dual spiritual substance according to their own inclination. But the non-dual part applies to them all, and that's very important. Because when we talk about the end of duality, we're talking about looking to the fact that spiritual life is conducted on a much higher plane of existence where the dualities that we experience in this world are dissipated. Imagine a world of simply pure consciousness. Pure consciousness to such, a, to such an extent that in its full revelation to us, there's nothing that, the, that we can desire in relationship to our spiritual position which is unattainable. So the ground upon we watch, walk in that transcendent, fully conscious realm of our existence is chintamani. And the trees that shade us and provide sustenance are kalpavriksha. And the cows that nourish us are sarabhi. All these things, shintamani, the shintamani that we walk on and the, the kalpavriksha trees and the sarabhi cows give unlimitedly whatever the spirit soul desires in relationship to a full enactment of, of spiritual perfection in devotion. So whatever you want, whatever you want to give to God, give to God it's immediately provided. Whatever you, however you want to serve the devotees of God, it's immediately available to you. Not in this realm where you've got to go out and get a job to give something. Not like in this realm where everything before we can actually even taste our true spiritual position, what to speak of entering into a relationship, just getting to our pure Satchitananda. What to speak of having 
a having an understanding of the Lord's Ananda, which is unfathomable, requires mastery of the mind and the senses. Those things have to come. They have the the material inclinations of our mind and our senses have to gradually fall away. So, as I was saying, Jiva was in a very unique position. He was younger than the other direct disciples of Sri Chaitanya. All the work that was done, the instructions received by his older uncle, Sanatan Goswami, and Srila Rupa Goswami, Gopal Bhattadas Goswami, who, whose personal notes he based this whole presentation on. The Sandarvas are based on the notes of Gopal Bhatta Goswami. He never got around to writing a book, but he kept notes. I can't want to forget this. Oh, I don't want to forget that. It takes a lot to, to take all that. Imagine being in the presence of such transcendent personalities and in the presence of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. How much transcendental knowledge was flying through the airwaves? Gopal Bhatt is there. Oh, I can't forget this one. I, <laughs> let me put this. i got enough leaves here for all this stuff. I'm sitting here in one class and I can't even write enough notes to, to enter into this. Jiva was younger. So when he sat down to compile his Sundarbhas, he had the works of Sanatan Goswami at his disposal. He had the, he had the which was the... The course, Sambandha, the inner relationship. A distinct way of understanding the Bhagavatam, which he put together in his Brihat Bhagavatamrita. And it's an interesting, his, the, whole, the whole look at that book, you, you look and the Maharaj Parikshit is like he's heard everything. Just the premise to the book is amazing. If the, if the Bhagavatam is the essence of all the Vedic knowledge, and you look to what Sanatan Goswami came out with as far as Brihat Bhagavatamrita, the concept was Maharaj Parikshit has just been completely enlightened by Sukadev, and he's ready to leave the world. And his mother says, no, hold on a minute here. You were just enlightened, and I wasn't there. Fill me in. Give me the essence of what you learned in that discourse from Sukadev Goswami. I realize your time's short, but you have enough time for this. I'm your mother. This wonderful book containing all the Sambandha, all the essence of the Bhagavatam. What is the purpose of spiritual life? What are we meant to attain? And we, we follow the, the life of Gopakumar as his attainment shows us the way to become a Raganuga Bhakti, following in the footsteps of one of the Lord's personal eternal associates in that land where Krishna, the Supreme Godhead, doesn't even know he's God. He set that aside because the love is so deep and so thick with his devotees, he doesn't have time to deal with it. The love is more important than the, the running of the universe. I'll expand myself for that. This expansion, that expansion. Purusha avatars can deal with 
with the universes. They can point demigods and Narayan and Vaikuntha can, you know, he can deal with saving humanity. He can manifest so many incarnations, avatars, and they can enter to the world and, and deal with that. I, I'm, I'm here with my people. What did you say? I'm God? No, I couldn't be God. Radha controls me at every minute. God is somebody that's not controlled at all. Jiva, younger, he gets to, 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 to dwell on these revelations of Sanatan Goswami. He gets to enter into the essence of the practice as delineated by Srila Rupa Goswami, who gave us a handbook. Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, my spiritual master, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, he called his summary study of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu the handbook to Krishna consciousness, nectar of devotion. He got the notes of Gopal Bhatta. He got the spiritual attainment, the revelation of Raghunath Das Goswami, and he compiles all this. And this is the Satsandarvas, the Sandarvas of Jiva Goswami. And here we go through it step by step, Tattva Sandarva. And now we're here to the second of six, Bhagavat Sandarva. What do, when we say God, what do we mean? What are the characteristics of God? What's his character? What are his quality? What's his nature? When we talk about God, what are we talking about? What distinguishes God from dog, from me, from the human being? What, what is, you know, how does the creation come forth from him? Bhagavat Sandarbha, Paramatma Sandarbha, how is he all-pervading in, in everything? Krishna Sandarbha, what is the highest form of the Godhead? And what's he all about? So these four first four sandarvas deal with sambandha, knowledge, general knowledge of the nature of transcendence. The fifth sandarva is the bhakti sandarva, and it deals with abhideya. What is the practice? What's the essence of practice? And the last sandarva, the priti sandarva, deals with. What is the what's the attainment? What are we going after here? Oh, okay. What's that like? How can I understand that? Sambanda, Abhideya, Prayojan. General knowledge of transcendence. How to enter into a turning of consciousness from the world of duality to the world of pure consciousness, Abhideya, and what's the Bhagavatam? What what it, I'm reading in the Bhagavatam? These revelations. What's the experience like when we enter into transcendence? What's the difference in our existence? How much? How much different is it? What, what is the experience as much as can be given to us? So we're in the second Sandarbha. 
we're learning about God in a general way. Bhagavat Sandarbha. In this Sandarbha, because the main verse upon which the beginning Sandarbhas is, is predicated is Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaditi Sabjate. So when we talk about Brahman, that in that concept of spirituality where I understand that mm, spiritual energy pervades everything. I want to end material existence, turn off the mind and senses, and just be part of that. Brahmati. Jiva Goswami didn't write a Brahman Sandarbha. Why? Because when we talk about the concept of Brahman, well, there's nothing to say. There's no quality. It's devoid of all material qualities, and those that aspire to the Brahman conception, they have no aspiration for the spiritual qualities of the Supreme. They're content just to end material existence and become one with the all-pervading spirituality of it all. So there's no Brahman Sandarbha. We have the Bhagavat Sandarbha dealing with a personal conception of the Absolute than the Paramatma Sandarbha about that personal Absolute and how he pervades his external energy, Paramatma, uh, the immanent self. He's in everything. He's outside of everything. He's in each, each individual personality that we come into contact with. So Paramatma, the imminent self, and then Bhagavan, this a concept of supreme transcendence where there is a distinct personality over just the over, more far-reaching than just the imminent self that we experience within material existence, a personality who is an embodiment of all that is spirituality, who has his own distinct qualities, characteristics, and energies. Bhagavan. So we use this term, Bhaga, Bhaga. All wealth, all fame, all beauty, all knowledge, all renunciation. He has all those things. And that's just, we'll just, that's just the beginning, but those are pretty good ones. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation. He's the most wealthy, he's the most beautiful, he's the strongest, he's the most knowledgeable, he's the most renounced. And boy, is he beautiful. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. Now, when we talk about a complete condensed, condensed personality of all that is spiritual and of all that is the fountainhead of the energies that we experience in this world and of all that we conceive of unfathomable energies in that all-conscious world, 
then that's Bhagavan. And then Krishna, well, Krishna's that God that, he's all that Bhagavan is, but the sweetness is so overwhelming. The exchange that you can have with that manifestation of the Supreme is so sweet. The love is so thick. The full and total dedication in devotion that we can experience in relationship to that personality far exceeds even knowledge of God. You start tasting that sweetness. You don't care how God made the universe. You don't care how he comes in the different avatars. Become so enamored by the sweetness of that personality. Who is God? That you forget that he's God. And as I said earlier, he forgets that he's God. And you live in a world of unending spiritual rapture with each other. So we're in the, we're in the Bhagavad Sandarbha. That's a little introduction. We're in a section of the Bhagavad Sandarbha, Anucheta 47, and what Jiva Goswami is doing here is he's saying everything about God is transcendental. His name, his form, his activities, all of his attributes. It's all transcendental. Okay, so we know that. Let's go on. No, that's not Jiva Goswami's way. What Jiva Goswami does is he says, okay, let's look at these. Let's look at the Lord's form. What's transcendental about it? Let's substantiate that transcendental, transcendentality of, of the form of God and let's make sure that we understand what exactly that means. Because we only have knowledge of form that we've experienced. God's form is not like our form. I don't know about you, but I didn't choose this form for me. I didn't fill out a form and say, okay, next life, I want to be this and that, and, you know, I want to have these, I want to be, you know, a great scholar, I want to be a great, I want to be a Billy Gate. I didn't get a form to fill out. And I don't know if any of you did, but it, I, it, it wasn't in my inbox at the end of the last course of activity. So here I am, and what's the difference between my form and God's form? Well, he, he's, his form's eternal. He does get to choose everything. We don't get to choose hardly anything except by how we conducted ourselves prior to coming at this time and the experience of coming into this form was so traumatic upon us I don't even remember what I did. But I didn't do what other people did because I'm not as rich as some of the richest ones. I'm not as poor as some of the poorest people who are just like me in spiritual quality. 
There's no difference between me and the richest person in the universe. And there's no difference between me and the poorest man in the universe. There's no difference between me and the most beautiful person in the universe or the other end of the spectrum. There's no difference between me than every every entity that I see in material existence. So Jeeva's, Jeeva's pointed out, well, God's form isn't like that. God's form is not like your form. Understand his form. He can have a form, although he's also fully formless. And when we talk of the supreme as being formless, we can be re- referring either to the fact that he's that all-pervading energy, which is this, which is the background of everything in existence, including ourselves, or he's formless when we look to him in relationship to the form we have. He's not forced into a body like we're forced into a body. And he never leaves his body. And we haven't met anybody that has not been forced to leave their body yet. There's no eternality in the body that I'm aware of. History gives us some lessons in that regard, and no one's yet among us from ancient, ancient history. I know you've heard of some sages in the Himalayas that are thousands of years old. Yeah, there are some sages in the Himalayas that are hundreds and thousands of years old, but some of those personalities are manifestations of the supreme the lord does walk among us in his transcendental forms and he may stay here for the whole duration or he may appear or disappear as he sees fit so jiva here has taken the shastras and he's looked at the form of god he's looked at his name he's looked at his actions and he's looked at all of his attributes, not all of them because you can't really come to an end of his attributes but he's given us some comparisons now this Anacheda is, a, is extremely long this section that's what Anacheda means it means a section So this section of the Sandarbha which is the explanation of Bhagavan is extremely long we're coming to a, a section in it where the nature of the Lord's name is being discussed. So this next Anacheda, I'll read a little bit of what Jiva Goswami said here. Similarly, the distinctive feature of Bhagavan's form is that it is manifest only through his internal potency, which is self-luminous in nature. We just touched on this. How amazing. The bodies of conditioned beings are under the control of the laws of nature. We call the laws of nature gunas. They come in different varieties. Good gunas, activity gunas, ignorance gunas. And then Jiva goes forward and he talk he quotes the commentary on Srimad Bhagavatam by Sridhar Swami, which is that old common not old that commentator of yore 
So Sridhar Swami comments, the question was asked in chapter 8 of the second canto, that since the relation between the Lord and his body seems to be no different from that of an ordinary living being, how is it possible for a being to become liberated by offering devotion to him? seems to me that the God that you speak of, these different incarnations of God that we're aware of from the scriptures, these, these various saints that you've built a cult of devotion around these personalities, but they look just like we do. So what's that all about? Why are you worshipping them? <laughs> Doesn't seem to make sense to me. Now we notice this, that the objections that are put forth this time by Sridhar Swami, or we see it repeatedly by Vishwanath and his commentary, all these great sages who have given us these insights into the transcendental literatures, they all look at these philosophical ideas regarding spirituality and the supreme from every angle of vision and if there's something about a presentation any objection that anyone could possibly raise they like to raise it themselves and deal with it rather than to leave us hanging that's the nature of, of, of of these literatures and these commentaries. It's a great boon for us because generally, a lot of the time, generally, I don't want to be too general here, but we have a tendency, we just, you know, when we're reading scripture, we may not think of everything. We hear God is like this, or God did that, or God interacted with, with, with somebody in human society in this way. And we may not think of all the implications that that has. Well, these commentators, they don't leave any of the implications out of their analysis. So Sridhar says, as I said, what, I don't see a difference. How can you be liberated? How, how can you attain liberation from suffering in the material world by offering devotion to just anybody that looks just like you or me. I don't get it. The scriptures are saying, worship God. You're saying this is God and this is what God appeared like when he appeared in human society. I don't see a difference. Why worship him? It seems foolish. So it goes on. The above verse... Now again, he's working from a verse from the second canto. The verse is spoken by Maharaj Parikshit, who is inquiring from Sukadev Goswami. Maharaj Parikshit had said in this ver at, at this time, he says the Purusha form, now that we know the Purushas are those manifestations of the Supreme that bring forth what we call our life. They give us bodies, they give us a playground, they provide this. It's like a whole playground for us where we can actually think we're God. So we have a sun and we have water and we have bodies and food and 
everything's provided. It's like, you know, we're in the sandbox of God. So who put the sandbox there? These are the Purusha manifestations of the Godhead. So we have these Purushas. So Pariksit says, the Purusha, from whose belly the lotus appears, has been described as having planets as his limbs. So some people have this conception that the universe is a manifestation of the Lord and, the, and when they equate certain things that they see in nature from their empiric observ- observations and they equate these observations with certain aspects of the Supreme. In that way they can develop a concept whereby they can start to relate at least to the Supreme in the environment around us. We see this in many traditions. It's not only the Vedic tradition. It's natural. You've got to start somewhere. You might as well start seeing God in what's around you. There may be a lot more to God than that, but that's a good place to start our journey. As having planets as his limbs, though different from the, hum- the material human form, which is endowed with limited limbs, he seems similar since he also has limbs. What is the difference between these two? So actually, Parikshit brought the question up to Sukadev. What's the difference? The above verse is put forth in answer to this question. To purify his understanding in the nature of self, Atmatatva visud yartham, in other words, his teaching is intended for the individual self, the jiva, in order to purify his understanding of the absolute, but to bestow explicit and unequivocal knowledge of the absolute. Parikshit wants to know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, what does this mean? Make it absolutely clear to me. What was that knowledge? That which the Lord spoke to Brahma. Namely, knowledge regarding his own devotional service, including such elements as austerity. Was he doing anything else at that moment? So Brahma is... He's in charge of the material manifestation, but he needs to get... He needs to be schooled. It's a big job to make a material universe. And the Supreme Lord himself, he sits down with him and says, okay, we do it like this. It's not really yes to sit down and explain it. This is done in, in transcendental revelation. But he's able to see, he's able to conceive in his consciousness how to go about manifesting a material universe. So he's was he doing anything else at that moment? Why he's revealing this to Brahma? Was the Supreme Lord doing anything else? Yes, he did so while revealing his tr- own true form. That is his form of highly condensed awareness. Chidgana. What was the reason for his showing this form? Brahma had served the Lord with his non-pretentious austerity. Sridhar Swami goes on, the implication is this, 
the relationship between the jiva, ourself, our little infinitesimal bit of spirituality, which is our Satchitananda. God has unlimited Satchitananda. We have a little bit of pure consciousness. We tend to invest our consciousness in the mud of matter and muck it up some, but it's never truly and absolutely affected. It's, it's just a misconception to think. We have many misconceptions. That's why we have Abhideya. Let's get rid of the misconceptions with pure knowledge. Let's get rid of the misconceptions by purifying our consciousness by a little bit of spiritual activity. Chanting, meditating, performing yoga. Purify. Purify our consciousness. The relationship between the jiva and his material body is unreal, caused by ignorance. But in the case of Bhagavan, his transcendental body is manifest by his internal energy, yoga maya. This difference is immense. It's a big difference between the fact that we invest our consciousness in the material energy, which is where, where we, the environment we're in, and that investment provides us the opportunity which is afforded by a material body. So we invest our energy and we're provided with a material vessel by which to experience the material world. But in the case of Bhagavan, his transcendental body is manifest by his internal energy, yoga maya. He's not in the Maya we're in. Mahamaya, the Maya of the material world, as I said, forces circumstances of existence upon us. Yoga Maya means he's controlling his own circumstance of existence. That's a big difference. Srinar Swami says it's immense. I mean, you can't measure the difference between yoga maya and mahamaya the material energy imagine whatever you want whatever this whatever the lord desires immediately manifest as i said earlier at the beginning whatever we desire we got to go out and get a job <laughs> or get a wife or get or do austerities or practice for our whole life or maybe a few lives so that one day we're born we come into the world we may not remember who we were but we sit down at a piano and we can immediately just come out with a concerto or whatever you do on a piano <laughs> maybe that's the wrong word but you get my point I hope thus liberation can be attained through devotion to him here ends Sridhar Swami's comments. So he's taking this doubt of Parikshit Maharaj and Sridhar Swami has looked at this verse and he's commented in such a way that we can understand that there is a difference and it is immense. And the enormity of that difference between our conditioned nature 
and the nature of the Supreme makes him worshipable by us. It's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong in it. This Anacheda goes on to point out that there are places in the scriptures where different colors, it's interesting why Jiva would do this, but why, that different colors are attributed to different aspects of the Supreme and his servants, specifically Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva, who are referred to as the Guna avatars. They're in charge of the modes of material nature, the pure mode, the passionate mode, and the ignorant mode. So the verse that Jiva uses to bring out a lesson to us on the proper way to approach these scriptural statements. And this is not the first lesson he's given us in his Sundarbas in the proper way to, to understand verses and to, and to get at the core of their meaning. So the verse he uses, we call these Sambanda, his core understanding. He explains a verse from the 10th canto. Through your maya, you assume a pure white color for the sake of maintaining the three worlds. A red color endowed with rajas for their creation and a dark color through tamagun for their destruction. And what Jiva does through a series of various evidences is shows us that the utilization of these colors is simply to bring a deeper understanding to us as students of it's not that God is white, that Vishnu is white because he's not white. It's not that Brahma, whose complexion is golden, is red. And it's not that Shiva, who's in charge of, charge of ignorance, is black. Vishnu's black. Jiva Goswami here really takes some time. And he just, he just teaches us and schools us how to approach such verses and see them in context. Context means everything in the Bhagavatam. Statements are made in the Bhagavatam and we have to see in what context is this. Otherwise, well, we can see what happens even in modern Gaudiya Sampradaya. In our, in our own contemporary society of devotees, people take quotes out of context. I look back to my time in, in, in the greater Ishkan movement and what it's become today, and it's, it's become a lot of Prabhupada said. But sometimes what's used as an evidence, a quote from the guru, my spiritual master, is taken out of context to, point, to prove a point that's unrelated to what he was speaking about in the first place. Therefore, you get all these false false philosophies, these misconceptions, and they are anarthas. 
What is a nartha? A nartha is a misplaced value. Putting value in a in something like matter around us or in an idea that has no real value. Jiva Goswami's direction is so helpful in this regard when it comes to our approach for, to the Bhagavatam. I should stop there. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. Thank you.